Good evening and welcome to Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host, coming to you from the BNN Live studios in Eggleston Square and wishing you a happy 4th of July weekend. Tonight, a two-part show, all politics, as is our usual want. First up, we continue our coverage of the election 2023, of course, the Boston City Council races. Tonight, another of the candidates running for the soon-to-be-vacant District 3 City Council seat. That's uh, uh, including a good part of Dorchester. Then on the second half, we'll shift gears. And uh, joining me, an old friend, uh, Darnell Williams. He's the former president and CEO of uh, the Urban League of Eastern Mass. And we'll talk about today's uh, Supreme Court ruling ending affirmative action in higher education institutions. All that and more tonight on Talk of the Neighborhoods. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're back with Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host. Tonight, a two-part show, and in this first half, we continue our coverage of election 2023. Uh, this is, after all, an election year every year is, but this year's elections are for the Boston City Council. Uh, uh, qualifying signatures uh, had to be in. I think they're still certifying the results, but uh, uh, there, it appears that there will be a preliminary election, at least in four of the districts and perhaps at large as well uh, as uh, new councillors are elected. Uh, the most heated race, I'd have to say, or the most competitive race, maybe it's a better term, is District 3. Uh, uh, Dorchester by the Sea, for lack of a better term, runs along the coast, uh, currently represented by Frank Baker. He announced this spring that he would not be running for re-election, and that has drawn a large crowd, a large crew, including my guests uh, on this segment of Talk in the Neighborhoods. Uh, John Fitzgerald joins us, one of the candidates running. Nice to see you. Thanks. Joe, so, thank you very much thanks, for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. Well, it looks like, uh, I, I'm not sure the exact number what will be, but uh, at least seven candidates in this race. Uh, uh, you know, I have to mention, of course, at the top uh, that uh, you're a scion of a well-known former Boston public official and much-beloved uh, Boston elected official, uh, uh, former representative Kevin Fitzgerald, uh, now deceased, 
It's, of course, your father yeah. uh, from Mission Bell. And uh, many people, uh, many, many people still uh, talk about him affectionately uh, and uh, uh, reference him. Uh, are you surprised there's still, uh, it's been 17 years now since he passed, that yeah. there's still so much uh, uh, love for uh, Kevin? No. Um, Right, not not from me anyway. Yeah. Right, he's, he'll always be my dad, um, and so that love will that love will be forever yeah. and boundless. But um, am I surprised? No. Uh, the amount of work that he did and who he helped and and the ages he helped, the demographics he helped, and he never looked at those stuff. He just looked at who needed help, yeah. especially in his neighborhood of Mission Hill, which was a melting pot right. as it was. So uh, he loved, respected everybody there, and just wanted that neighborhood to be the best it could be. Um, and he never forgot where he came from and always helped out. So it is not surprising to me uh, that folks of all ages and still as I get older um, are able to, uh, you know, still still speak right. well of him. Uh, we got to take just a real quick break here and we'll be right back with more of John Fitzgerald. Stay tuned. Some technical issue. Face an unprecedented crisis. Tens of millions of refugees have been forced from their homes. But you can make a difference. Turn disruption and despair to hope and opportunity. Even small amounts make a big difference. Provide shelter, support, or jobs in your community. The more we understand, the greater sense of belonging we create. Act now. Visit supportcrisisrelief.org. Oh, sorry, District 3 City Council and uh, John, of course, we were talking about, you know, your late father, uh, well-known father, much-beloved father. Uh, how, uh, so, did you always uh, have that in the back of your mind that uh, maybe someday I'll run for office? And, and what prompted you to decide to run now? Yeah, so I'll admit, Joe, that I, I always thought I was smarter than my father and that I would, <laughs> I would never run for office. Uh, you know, having grown up in a family with a father who's an elected official, obviously it takes its toll on the kids and, oh, you yeah. know. Uh, then there's the, the, the papers and the things you read as you're growing up. And, of course, sure. uh, you know, th that stuff can take a toll in, over time. But uh, it's also made me the man I am today, right, uh, yep. having gone through some of those hardships. So, um, you know, I knew it was something that I would be great at if I could do it. Um, I liken it to I, I always watching my dad grow up, um, watching him speak at events, watching that, right, you just sort of through osmosis, through being there, think, okay, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. I didn't know at the time that people revered him as a great public speaker mm -hmm. and, a, and an orator, right? Well, no one could talk faster than him, I don't yeah. think, I, <laughs> as I recall, you know? Um, and so I think I just sort of picked a lot of that up, um, but his passion certainly lives on in, in his children as well. Yeah. Uh, and so when, when it came up, um, I, I, it, this is, I was not thinking about running, mm -hmm. right? Um, Frank announced and I said, oh, that, that, that's, you know, we, we're sad to see Frank go. Uh, he did great for the district and keeping it whole. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, a friend grabbed me during a, a Little League uh, parade at the beginning of the season and said, I forgot you live in the district, you know, because I'm not originally from Dorchester. Right. And she said, uh, you got to do it. You, you, you got to do it. And I said, slow, whoa, 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 slow down. <laughs> you know, hold the phone. Uh, but so she started spreading the word and more people reached out and yeah. I, I felt the support there. Um, I have some concerns, you know what I mean, and, and uh, about the future of the city mm -hmm. as well. Um, and I said, well, you know what, if we're gonna, if we're gonna do this and, and we're gonna try and, and use my strengths and, mm -hmm. and to go on our wheelhouse, then uh, we're gonna give it a shot. 
Well, you know, uh, the world has changed a lot, and I don't have to tell you that. And yeah. uh, uh, it used to be uh, uh, a lot more, well, how would I call that? Not a friendly, but a friendly competition and that type yeah. of thing. It's, uh, some people would say that the Boston City Council has changed dramatically, and some have even referred to it as a toxic environment. There's been yeah. some, some real differences kind of aired out. Uh, uh, some of it rather bitter, but uh, uh, what makes you want to get into step into a, a, a place like that? And yeah. I, I'm playing a little devil's advocate here. No, but, no, it, it, but it's but a you, question. You know, you you had to have heard some of those, uh, uh, some of the uh, video from that. And, uh, yeah, no stories. It, look, at, we follow it, right? Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. it, it's important to pay attention and be involved and understand what's going on. So you have to follow it. Um, I get that question on the doors all the time. Right? Yep. Why, why are you doing this? Right? <laughs> what are you thinking? And I, I tell them, though, isn't that the point? Yep. Right? Isn't that the point? Uh, we need good people to step up and be involved in, in politics and in, in our local elected government to lead. Um, and maybe there, there's you know, nothing to anyone in particular. Mm -hmm. I want to just clarify. But uh, the body as a whole now, um, you know, I think people are a little turned off by it. Yep. And, and so my hope is that I can go in there with, with an air of positivity, uh, with an air of togetherness and sort of saying, uh, I'm willing to work with every and all and let's make this body, let's bring the standard back up um, and, and try and get some stuff done that's helpful for the city. Because I think right now, uh, the example being set, more importantly, is not the example I want to set for, for my kids and the youth that are watching this now and saying, oh, is this how government works? No. No, this isn't. This isn't. This isn't how good government works, right? Um, there's a, there's a better way, um, and we've sort of got to get back to those roots. Right. Well, a lot of the uh, discussion, at least, uh, uh, degenerated into uh, uh, some harsh words. Were around uh, actually the redistricting of District Three. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, the idea of, uh, of moving some some precincts around, including. Uh, the area down near Nimponsa. Now, I don't know if you live in that area, whether this uh, affected your decision or how, how it changes. Uh, but uh, did you see the maps? Uh, sure. Did you feel like uh, that, uh, as I think Frank has voiced, uh, that uh, Dorchester, at least as he knew it, or at least some of the parishes there, were being unnecessarily kind of split up or split off? Yeah. Uh, did you see that? Well, I know that in, in living close to that area, I was always going to be in District 3, so I campaign right. was going to go forward regardless. Right. Um, but I'm very close to where the line was going to be drawn because yeah, yeah. uh, it would go right up Adams Street, and I lived off of Adams. Right. right? Um, and I know from being in that neighborhood uh, for the past uh, over a decade that it, that really is one community. Um, mm -hmm. And so it did feel like, well, why, what, you know, why would you be at the Erie mm -hmm. across the street uh, in District 4 and Green Hills on this side is, right. is District 3, right. it seemed like an odd place to, to, to sort of divvy up. Right. Um, I, I will give Frank credit. He, he, he fought very hard. Yes, he did. Uh, yeah. to, and, well, he was one of the litigants. I, yeah. I think that's fair yeah. to say. No, uh, and, and I think it was the right thing because it kept Dorchester as a whole, right, mm -hmm. where, where sort of the lines are drawn. And yes, we, we've got to find a place to draw the line at some point. But mm -hmm. the fact that Dorchester stayed whole, I think, is important. Uh, for the community of Dorchester itself. Mm -hmm. um, and so just, just hitting on that and striving for that was great. Um, I think the outcome, I think everyone was actually pretty content with. Um, yeah. I know I was. 
well, there was a, a couple of uh, dissenters on the council. Uh, will that uh, arrangement, will that help you? Will that help your campaign? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I you know, in, in, living in the Adams Village area, right, and going from Lower Mills to St. Brendan's right. to, yeah. to Neponset yeah. to Ashmont Adams, all the way down Savin Hill. Um, I, I think the coalescing of that neighborhood uh, was a positive for me. Um, but of course, that's why we have elections, and, you know, that's why we play the game, right? Well, that's what we'll find out. I, yeah. Again, uh, uh, John Fitzgerald is uh, running for election to the District 3 City Council. Uh, I don't know if we still have the graphic showing that, uh, but uh, it's a district that runs all the way from, well, the Mass Pike all along the coast down to, uh, to Milton, uh, yeah. if I recall correctly. Uh, it's drawn an awful lot of people into the race. Sure. And uh, what, I guess the question, the obvious question is, what, what makes you different or what makes you better than the others that are running, and I won't call any of them out by no. name, but uh, you know it's a very uh, diverse field. I think yeah. that's fair to say. And well, Dorchester's diverse community, yeah. right? And that's one one of the great things about getting to represent this district is that it goes from Lower Mills to the Ink Block in the South yeah. End, right? Mm -hmm. So when you think about socioeconomic, racial, I mean, you have everybody under the sun mm -hmm. in this district, and and so you get a chance to learn all the issues and how they affect each each demographic, and right, and go forward. So just as an education, it's unbelievable. Um, I think for me, you asked. Uh, um, the original question, I apologize, was, well, uh, what how does, why does it make me the best? Yeah. Right. So in terms of that, uh, I know that, um, one, I've got 17 years in City Hall, mm -hmm. right? And so my you experience... You worked where? Tell us. Uh, so at the Boston Planning Development Agency, the former BRA. BRA right? uh, yep. I held okay. a, a number, of, um, number of different um, uh -huh. uh, titles throughout my 17 years there. Mm -hmm. um, but... Well, I understand it's always sometimes looked at as, uh, you know, as the bad guy or the bad agency, right? <laughs> that, and, and, and I can understand that. Yeah. Um, what it does do is connect you to everything that the city does, right? Uh, development, you have to deal with the transportation department, the environment department, the elected officials, the community, the architects, the lawyers, right? Yeah. And so you really get a great understanding of how the city works by working at that mm -hmm. agency. Um, and so, and the people you get to know, right? Um, so... What I would like to do is take that 17 years experience, all the people we know, how to get things done, right? It's not just knowing the director, the commissioner, or, or things right. like that. It's knowing the guy under the girl under the guy, right, yeah, that's yeah, going yeah, to get, yeah. that, that pours the cement into the stop sign at your corner, yeah. that affects your quality of right. life, right? I know those people. Yeah. Um, and that's how you get things done in the city of Boston, right? It's a relationship-based... It is. Right? I, I think that's, that's fair to say. Uh, now, uh, Mayor Wu wants to uh, reorganize. BPDA, is yep. that what it's called now? I yep. think I, I got that right. I yeah, got that acronym right. And in fact, uh, there's a bill up in the legislature. It requires, it's a home rule petition that would require their approval. Yeah. Is that a good idea? So it's a tough question. I understand the intent behind it, yeah. uh, but I do have some concerns, right? One, it just being the only AIDS, the only job I've ever had. So anytime <laughs> you hear abolishing the AIDS you work for, I think about my children yeah, and my family, yeah. and I go, oh, no, yeah. right? Um, but at the same time, I, I, I question um, uh, the benefits that can come out of it that uh, if it's really necessary, mm -hmm. right? Um, I know they want to focus on affordability and equity and, and climate resiliency, and we can do all that given the tools we currently have at the agency. Um, 
I think I just worry about the message it sends when you take the economic engine uh, of really New England, if you think about it. If, we're, if we are it for Boston, Boston's it for Massachusetts, yeah, Massachusetts yeah, for New yeah. England. Um, and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fold it and make it a city agency. Uh, I think that sends a message to, to mm -hmm. those that want to invest in the city that like, oh, wait, there's, there's change coming. We're not sure what happens. And I, I fear investors will, would be skittish um, about what is to come and at a time when it's a little bit very sensitive to, to, mm -hmm. to give that. So right. um, I, I won't say it is a terrible idea, right? There, there could be some good that comes out of it, but I don't see the need uh, to be as drastic as it is to accomplish what the mayor wants to accomplish. And I should say, the mayor and I get along very well. I have much respect for her, mm -hmm. and she, she, is a, she, is a, she is a great mayor and a fantastic woman. Um, but in this specific thing, just having worked there, right. I have a personal stake yeah, in it, yeah. and it's sort of well, the talk is... it from the inside. Right. Uh, what about uh, rent control? That's also up uh, yeah. on Beacon Hill. Uh, now, you're, uh, Frank Baker was not a big fan of that, but uh, a major clear majority of the councilors were, and uh, uh, some people, uh, you know, well, Mayor Wu has called it a rent stabilization bill, not yeah. rent control, but uh, uh, is that something you support? Is that something you need? So w we have to look at different paths towards home ownership. Right, and keeping the people uh, that live in the city of Boston that want to stay in the city mm -hmm. here. Uh, that's one of the main reasons I'm running. It's because I want to live in this city, right? Uh, I, I think the, uh, the opportunities that were afforded to me growing up in this city, uh, how, who it made me, uh, you know, you, you're here, we've got the smartest people in the world, mm -hmm. right? And you that's rub shoulders, yeah. right? You rub shoulders with them every day. Yep. Uh, and, and you pick up that, that, that knowledge yeah. and, you, and you appreciate that. Um, but we're also a tough city, right? Uh, we, we all know we've all taken a punch or given a punch yeah. in our time, right? Mm -hmm. And so when, when I think about my children and, and, and making them the most well-rounded people and prepared for life, I think about the life that Boston can give yeah. them, right? And seeing the diversity and, and, and toughening them up and making them in, in, in intelligent. And um, you know, I, I truly believe the three pillars of any great society is is uh, the AAA: academics, athletics, and the arts. Right? If you if you can get an education, stay physically fit, mm -hmm. play a sport, and you learn a language or an instrument or or, or paint or write poetry, mm -hmm. I mean that's a full life. You're going to be prepared. Um, and so what I think people talk about now is that they're worried about leaving the city. Right? You've got people that can afford to stay yeah. here, and they look at the public schools, and they look at the public yeah. safety, and they say, we're out of here. Yeah. Right? We're going to go to the South Shore, we'll go Worcester, we'll go North Shore. You look at the people that can't afford to be here, and they say, we can't afford to be here. Right. We're going to go South Shore, yeah. North Shore, West. Well, what do you do to help those uh, people stay? So Because I, I think that's what the whole uh, thing was geared towards, is those that can't afford to live here anymore. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, look, so we have to work and find, we have to build more housing, right? Simple supply mm -hmm. and demand. We have to build more housing to keep the cost down. Yeah. We have to find other paths towards home ownership and, and the programs and, and supporting the programs that allow people to stay at the rented, uh, rented apartments mm -hmm. that they live in now. Uh, we have to fix the public schools, and we have to make sure the streets are safe. If you do that, people will stay. Right? Well, speaking of the schools, uh, now the uh, uh, State Education Commission just blasted again the uh, Boston Public Schools and of course had less than two years ago threatened a, a state takeover of the yeah. public schools. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, what do you think uh, needs to be done there to 
So you, if that's an important part of keeping people here. No, it, it, it very much is. And, I, and I'll say this as, as a Boston Public School graduate. Yeah. Uh, my wife is a public school teacher. Uh, and I have two of my boys, uh, one, one at the, uh, the Kenny and the second one um, is starting there um, in mm -hmm. September. So I have two boys in Boston Public Schools and hopefully mm -hmm. my daughter, uh, when she's of age, will go sure. as well. Um, and so w what I think we need to do, what I'd like to look at, the best performing schools that I've found, the public schools in Boston, have the strongest parent-teacher organizations, right? right. When, when the parents, when the family is involved in the child's mm -hmm. education, that's the most important thing. But there are societal hurdles that prevent that from happening. Whether it's uh, the person from East Boston sending their kid to Hyde Park, uh, and you have a single mom who works nights and she cannot take part in the mm -hmm. school and she can't get over it, it's, it's either too far or, uh, or she's working or they can't hop on the Zoom. And so they don't find themselves involved in their children's educational life. Um, I would like to look at how do we support that more um, how do we make it easier for that parent to be involved and have the resources? Like neighborhood schools, or what, what are you talking about? Uh, we're talking about providing the parents and the home life, the resources yeah. they need to be involved, whatever that may be. Uh -huh. And it's going to change, right? For some, it's the distance, right? Mm -hmm. And so, okay, baby, how do you close the distance? For some, it's just the, the, the timing. And say, okay, when, do, when can we make it available that you can come in and talk, or how do we come to you, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's money there. Look, we, we spend more per, per student in a big city than any other city in the country, right? right? And, and the results aren't showing. Mm -hmm. So it, it has to be looked at as to where the money's going and, and, and are we putting the right resources mm -hmm. in the right places. Uh, and I, I'm not saying I have the, the, the bulletproof answer, right, yep. the silver bullet, but there's things I would love to explore. Well, uh, Mayor Wu and uh, the superintendent just proposed uh, moving the uh, John D. O'Brien exam school out to... West Rockford building, rebuilding that structure yeah. and putting uh, the O'Brien School out there and then expanding on the Madison Park Vocational School. Yeah. Is that a good idea? Well, I'll tell you, I'm all for the vocational school portion yeah. of it, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, getting into the trades, and I remember growing up and going off to college and my friends that didn't go to college yeah. who got into the trades, yeah. and I'm, you know. Well, I'm they're doing a lot better than you. Well, I'm, I'm here I am, saddled with student debt, right, as a government employee, and they're driving around in their I'm Cadillac, right? Course, yeah, and yeah. I'm at, at 22 years yeah, old, I'm right. saying, what the hell I do wrong, yeah. right? So I, I get it, I, but I think that the trades, uh, one, I, I think we're going to need more of those folks working Right and, mm -hmm. and having a skill set that is much needed. If you ever tried, have you tried to find an electrician lately? Please. If you need work, right? Please, it's very hard to, yeah. to get one. Yeah. So uh, there are there is a, there is a demand there, mm -hmm. um, and I think that portion of it is great. And I'd love to 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 try and get kids more into a pipeline mm -hmm. uh, of getting those skill sets uh, and going on and, and, and becoming a great job and a well trained a union mm -hmm. member uh, and provide a great living life. So yeah. that that's one of the keys. The O'Brien School. The what about that one? So the O'Brien uh, going to uh, um, West, West Roxbury. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's a tough because there are a lot of people saying well, this is our community school here, yeah. right? And, and so a lot of the parents maybe feel like, well, now am I going to be as involved? Um, I, I can't speak to it too much, to be honest. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's a tough decision to make. Uh, you know, you can always give kudos to the mayor for making a hard decision. Yeah. Um, the facility over in West Roxbury, I've been there many times. Yeah. It, it should be used for something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I hope it's to the benefit of the right people. Well, we've got just a minute or two left, and i got to ask you something. It's going to be a, a, a tough race. Uh, you know, seven candidates uh, splitting up the vote. You know, yeah. could, could take you know, 20, 30 percent, wins the race, or at least finishes in the top two. And for our 
viewers that are not aware, it's the top two finishers go on to the final election in November. Yeah. Uh, how does John Fitzgerald finish in those top two? What, what's the key, in your opinion, to uh, uh, making it that far and then winning yeah. the race? Yeah, sure. I mean, when you have that crowded of a field, I mean, it's the, it, it's the field game, yeah. right? It's knocking the doors. It's going out to where people are. Um, I don't think that's a, a, a secret anymore mm -hmm. in any campaign, mm -hmm. right? Um, you've got to hit the doors. You've got to meet people. You've got to press the flesh with everybody that you can. Mm -hmm. um, I'm doing that. I'm out there. Uh, we're doing a good job on fundraising. Um, we've got a good feedback so far. Um, and, you know, I know that in District 3, there are some very high voting communities. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that if, right, for all mm -hmm. of the candidates, I think they know that to target those mm -hmm. and to win that um, it is a key to, right, to propelling so you. On that. Now, that, that district, uh, if I remember the percentages right, a majority of people, more a clear majority of people are people of color. Does that put you at a disadvantage uh, as a white male? Uh, you're yeah. an endangered species any, anymore? Or? No, I, you know, I don't like to give any credence to that uh, because yeah. it, we shouldn't look at color. We, and and, and I, don't, I don't feel like I see that, mm -hmm. right? Um, growing up in Mission Hill, Jamaica Plain, right? Around all walks of life. All day, all the time, all you saw. Um, and you got to remember, if I, growing up in Mission Hill, Jamaica Plain, hanging out in West Roxbury and Rosendale, going to school at, at Fenway, Kenmore, Back Bay, downtown. Yeah. And in the past, uh, you know, I've lived in South Boston in the past decade, lived in Dorchester. Yeah. Yeah. So I have been all over the city. And if there's someone that has a, an issue or, or, or a story to tell, I can probably relate to that, right? Uh, I get roots all over, yeah. I, you know, and, and I had a great time. I was running all over the yeah. city, right? Um, so I don't think it hurts me. I, I, I think folks uh, can look at me, at, hopefully, as they looked at my dad, Michelle, yeah. right, where yeah. they saw them. He, he's here to help people, right. and that's all we're getting in this for. Yeah. I want to make sure people can stay because yeah. I, I want to stay. Well, I want to wish you the best of luck. Will you come back if you finish in the final? Absolutely. I, I hope so. Nice having you and no. nice talking with you again. John Fitzgerald, uh, one of, well, I think it'll be seven candidates running for the District 3 City Council seat. The preliminary election is September 12th. That will narrow the field down to the top two, and uh, they'll be on the ballot again in November. And I want to thank John for coming and joining us tonight. Uh, when we come back with more of Talk to the Neighborhoods, while we shift gears, uh, an old friend joins me, and the former uh, president and CEO of the Urban League of Eastern Mass, uh, Darnell Williams joins us, and we'll talk about, uh, well, the state of race relations in Boston, Massachusetts, the country, uh, the Supreme Court just today uh, struck down uh, affirmative action guidelines for at least higher education. We'll get into all of that and more. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Do an aerospace engineer, cancer immunologist, and bat scientist all have in common? We all have cool jobs in STEM fields. Whether it's building robots or learning to code, girls everywhere are finding their passion for science, technology, engineering, and math through positive role models and mentors. So dare to dive in, get connected, and explore. You never know what your future may hold. Learn more about these and even more cool jobs at SheCanSTEM.com.
I think it's just vapor with flavor. It won't hurt my kid like cigarettes, right? Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? My kid? My kid, my kid knows it's dangerous. Get your head out of the cloud. Today, nearly 8,000 kids will start vaping, maybe even yours. Learn about the dangers at talkaboutvaping.org. Hey, boss. You okay? Yeah, I'm good. You sure? I said I'm fine. Since I was little, it was only like me and my parents. You think you created family out of characters? Yeah, of course. I'm gonna take that make it into a song. for the real ballers and shot callers, the sisterhood of women in tech. They're discovering cures, building apps and programming the blockchain. They're CEOs, worldwide hustlers who can make it rain. They're tearing down the old boys club and seeing big gains. Cause when women in tech come together, you know they make that change. All right, we're back with more of Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host. Tonight, a two-part show, and in the second half, well, we switch gears from electoral politics to, well, uh, culture politics, uh, racial politics, uh, you might say. It uh, depends upon how you look at this, but uh, I am very pleased to have joining me an old friend. Uh, uh, he is the former president and CEO of the Urban League of Eastern Mass, one of the... Uh, cities and regions uh, most prominent uh, civil rights, economic rights organizations, uh, now a, a high-ranking official in the MBTA, uh, Darnell Williams joins us. And Darnell, nice to see you, as always, uh, uh, coming to us from some location, uh, but uh, via Zoom, thank you for joining us. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a, a decision uh, on uh, higher education, uh, affirmative action in, in higher educational institutions. Uh, were you surprised by that? And how important of a decision is that uh, in your mind? Well, in my mind's eye, the, the Supreme Court has made a, another tragic decision that is devastating for our nation. And the answer to your question, Joe, am I surprised? Absolutely not. If we just briefly look at what they have done in recent times, not only did they reverse 50 years with Roe versus Wade, right. uh, reversing the woman's decision to decide 
we go back 10 years, they did, they gutted the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Um, and now to affirmative action and the importance of being a diverse nation, because um, many um, minorities and women don't have the funds that other folks can pay uh, some sidebar in order for them to get into these elite, elite, elite institutions. So it's a very much problem. And historically, I would just say, I'm not surprised because we got the Dred Scott decision, Plessy versus Ferguson, and the Bush-Gore decision in 2000 when they stopped the re-election count. So I have no confidence in the Supreme Court, zero. Their wisdom of the court is off the rails and we live in a nation of laws, but they are showing us that they have no concern about how America will go forward. Um, and if I just may add, Joe, basically the Supreme Court is driving the Supreme Court van looking through the rearview mirror. Uh, well, what will be the fallout from this, uh, in your opinion? What, what's the, uh, is there an immediate impact and longer term impact? Is it, uh, uh, will it discourage uh, uh, people of color from even applying to these institutions? Well, uh, I would think that they're going to have to find other mechanisms, uh, zip codes, or they'll look at the social economic factors or cultural nuances that people bring to bring diversity um, to the um, uh, formula for making decisions for admissions. I don't think it's, it's troubling and it's very, very damaging to our nation because there are ramifications that are going to spill over well beyond just higher education. Other institutions are going to be following the lead of what happens at elite universities. So I think that there, this is a, a watershed moment, a very sad and tragic moment that the Supreme Court has inflicted upon us in terms of the cultural war that they are inflicting on everybody across America. This is a bad day for us from a judicial lens. And uh, could it stir uh, anger in the community? Uh, could we see... Uh, uh, well, see, anger is emotional, Joe. What are you going to get by being angry? What we have to do is that we have to, we have to really figure it out and figure out what are the other steps. And those, those individuals in this country of goodwill will find a way. Um, when I think about socioeconomic factors that outweigh race, um, they will probably take a more heavier precedence of, of us considering uh, whether or not an applicant will bring diversity as well as cultural experiences, the life experiences to the forefront when they are, are being considered for academic admission. So that, I mean, so I think that that's common sense, but it seems like we would want the court on our side. And this court has proven historically they don't have anybody on this side. They have their own self-interest in the forefront. But will it affect, uh, uh, you know, agreements like uh, uh, judicial agreements? Uh, I'm thinking of, uh, uh, you know, the fire department, the police department to hire more uh, uh, people of color. Will it, uh, will it trickle down to affect issues like Absolutely that? Absolutely not. I, I'll be very specific. As a former fire commissioner from Springfield, there was a consent decree when many of the fire departments across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts were predominantly white. When we had the consent decree, there was either African-American or Latino or female that was added to the firefighter ranks. Boston firefighters fought that. And what they did 
um, they did, they fought it and they won. But now here we are 10, 15, 20 years later, the firefighter ranks are in fact right back where they were prior to the consent decree. So just like the Supreme Court, the decisions put a reverse effect of exactly all we're trying to do is to level the playing field. That means that women, minorities, Latinos, African-Americans, Asians, persons, BIPOC, they have a shot of being in the game. When you do things like this and you reverse it, it goes back to where it was to back to the 50s. Right, reversal of fortunes. Well, I'm, and I'm playing a little devil's advocate here, but of course opponents of affirmative action say, well, the world is much more diverse now and uh, people of uh, color and different orientations have uh, risen through the ranks and it's not uh, the same situation as it was, say, back in the 60s and 70s when they, uh, uh, some of the civil rights legislation was uh, being passed. Uh, what do you say to them? I say that's hogwash. The fact is, is that, yes, there are many African-Americans and women have uh, made significant progress, and we made progress. Mm -hmm. But if you look at 95% of corporate boards, corporate organizations, folks that are in charge, they're still predominantly white males. And those decisions and the people reporting into them look like that. This is not anti-white male. That's not what this is about. But, the, but it's called the power and the center of control. That has not changed even though that we've made progress. We've made glacier progress, but we have not made a robust heat progress in terms of where we're going to be. Well, the, the color line is still alive and well. Yeah. There was some thought after the uh, uh, George Floyd uh, murder uh, and uh, you know, a groundswell of support for uh, making changes into you know, corporate boards, government boards, media, uh, to uh, better reflect the uh, population, has some of that momentum been lost? Oh, absolutely. I think what happened after George Floyd passed away, he was like the daughter and them said, family said, that my daddy has made a difference. But however, the corporations have pulled back. They moved back to where they were comfortable. They were all in it, full body in, across the line, trying to make a difference. But if you take a look and if you were to measure where they are today, I would be hard pressed to say that there is a strident effort to uh, close the equity gap, the, uh, the wealth gap between black and white Americans and, and people who are poor across this nation. You look at the stats, the way I look at them, Joe, more people are homeless, more people are food starved, more people, yes, the unemployment rate is great, but that means some of the people have stopped looking. And therefore, we still have not recovered. And so with the rate of inflation where we're going, it's still challenging out here for people who are, are, have, do not have the means in order to make it. How about here in the city of Boston? Of course, you have uh, uh, the first elected mayor of color. And prior to that, uh, uh, the first uh, African-American uh, uh, mayor who was uh, 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 took Marty Walsh's seat uh, Mayor Wu has promised to make some changes to bring some equity, at least to the workforce and to the contracts are, that are issued. Is, uh, are you seeing a change there? Can you see that? Can you sense I, I, it? I see, I see progress is being made. I think the biggest issue for Boston 
is housing affordability for folks who have to either move out 25 to 30 to 40 miles away from Boston, but they have to make the transportation uh, trek into Boston because they can't afford to buy here. They can't afford the rents, which are absolutely, I believe I read that we're either second or third highest in the nation. So right. Mayor Wu and her administration, as well as Governor Healy, they have their hands full trying to get the numbers to be arrived for people who want to try to buy. People are still living with their parents because they can't afford to buy. Mm -hmm. They can't afford the rent. So Generation Z and Generation X are staying with their parents. The parents love their kids, but they would love to see them go too. But the fact <laughs> that uh, how, how did you know you were talking go? to me, Darnell? Uh, uh, I'm just kidding, of course. <laughs> you know, and I, I think I, I, see, uh, I see that as well, at least here in the city of Boston. But then every so often it just uh, uh, kind of, and you know, we had, such a you know ra or rather sordid history around race relations here in Boston, going back to the the uh, busing era. And uh, but you, every so often you see uh, uh, tempers flare and and uh, uh, kind of a bubbling up of emotions. And most recently, in the debate over redistricting here in the city of Boston, the city council districts, there were some charges thrown around, charges of racism, and uh, uh, I think some real hard feelings uh, that developed. Uh, uh, were you surprised? I, and maybe you're not aware of that, but or you might not well, have heard, heard about Well, I'm very much aware of the, the, the debate and the challenge between the, uh, politicians from South Boston and the politicians from Roxbury and Dorchester and Mattapan, right. yeah. where they had a difference of opinion. It was basically a Donnybrook uh, with the Hatfield and McCoys going at it, <laughs> and it spilled over into the public. So how could you not be aware? <laughs> you know, that's our blood sport. That's yeah, who we are. I hear it. But was it disturbing, you know, kind of given? Because uh, we've come, you know, you know, some people would say we've come quite a way since uh, those bad old days from the uh, the 60s and the busing era. Uh, now, you're talking about Louise Days Hicks and that whole crew. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that we are back where we were back then. That's when the bottles and the rocks were being thrown, right. racial epithets yeah. were being hurled. Yeah. It was very ugly and it was very mean. This was very cantankerous and it was rough, but I don't think it dipped down to the level of the nadir of what we had experienced before. So yeah. I think that Boston has a great opportunity to move beyond those images. But at the same time, I love it because they are passionate. They believe in what they believe, and they're fighting tooth and nail to see that what they are fighting for comes to fruition. That's called politics. That's democracy. I believe in a robust debate as long as we don't make it personal. And we talk about the ideas. We talk about how to move the city forward. How do we advance the, the, the notion that Boston is really a city on a hill and we can all thrive? Right now, we have, a, we have a city where people are thriving and doing well, and we have a city also where people are sleeping on the streets, they're dealing still with the drugs, and massing cash, mm -hmm. and they can't afford the rent, they can't afford to eat, we're food starved. So we have some real city challenges like every other major city across America. Well, of course, uh, and coming up in July is the... Uh, uh, Boston is hosting the national convention of the NAACP. Uh, uh, will we put a, a best face on 
the situation here? Have we kind of, uh, uh, by their coming here, is that a signal that uh, uh, things are on the up and up, that things are improving and, you know? Uh, well, in 2011, we brought the Urban League uh, National Conference. I, I remember Boston. that, yes. And we, we thought that we were making a sizable statement that Boston has shifted. NACP is coming after Ben. The last time they were here was in 1982. So it's like wow. 40 years ago. Wow. So they have an opportunity as well, not only to address the gun violence issues in Chicago and other cities, gun violence here in Boston, there are Baltimore, et cetera. We need to make sure that it's not just a dog and pony show that they're really going to do some substantive uh, discussions, but also what are some of the remedies that are needed in these municipalities and working with state and local governments, including uh, assistance from the federal government. So there's an opportunity and I wish them well. I wish them well in terms of bringing the thought leaders, the change leaders into Boston for them to see I believe the chairman of the NAACP talked about what happens in his state, and he was very, very uh, in Florida. Uh, he's the chairman, uh, Leon Russell, who's right. the chairman of the board. And he spoke very passionately about what's not happening in Florida, but he's looking forward to seeing the progress that we mm -hmm. made in Boston. So if somebody from Florida can recognize our progress, clearly a resident of Boston should also see it. Well, of course, as a, uh, a blue state, uh, uh, perhaps some of it, we aren't affected quite as much by the apparent culture wars that are going on in, in many other states across the country. Is that <coughs> a sign of better things to come, or how do you see <coughs> the future? And you're always better. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not convinced, Joe, that because we're a blue state, I would say there's a thin line between love and hate, and there's a thin line between what's happening in these other states and what really resides within Massachusetts. We're, we're one pay, paycheck away from being at each other's throats. Uh, we're one paycheck away from being uh, what I would call uh, divisive and, and deteriorating. If you read right. the uh, online comments and things that happen, whether it's at Fenway Park, or if it's in any place else in Springfield or Faneuil Hall in terms of changing the name, we still have that racial divide within our city. We just don't have the moral will and the leadership oftentimes to deal with these thorny issues. Well, uh, are you hopeful despite all that? We've got uh, Mayor Wu, we've got a, a new governor. Uh, well, yes. uh, there's a presidential Absolutely. race. Uh, I've uh, always said to you and your listening audience, I am a prisoner of hope. Yes, you That's are. That's what I live. That. <laughs> so you got to keep hope alive, man. That's the only way that you're going to get through this. Yeah. Because the fact is, is that you don't, I mean, I don't want to be just a, prognostic, a prognosticator of what's bad and what's wrong. But I want to make sure that I recognize that there are people in the governor's office, in the mayor's office, state senate, state house, and the local governments that are there. And also within the philanthropy community that want to try to do the right thing. And we just need to figure out the right path and the formula to put the money where it's needed and not just doing the show and tell and saying that we're doing this and this, but the meter is not moving. That's all I'm saying. Well, uh, I know you have been a powerful advocate for, you know, opportunity and, and uh, changes uh, that will help, well, everyone, but certainly uh, uh, people of, of color in particular. And... Uh, 
uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people are of the same mind as you. They're hopeful, uh, but they're just taking a wait-and-see attitude. Maybe that's... Uh, uh, you, you know, it's like inspect but verify. That, there you go. And uh, in terms of the last but not least, the uh, divide, apparent divide, uh, as a result of uh, uh, the presidential race and the uh, uh, politics, there's been a lot of divisiveness uh, around the country and uh, uh, everybody's trying to be mini me Trump yeah. on the Republican side of the house. I think the Democrats have a lot to be thankful for that they have an administration that is showing very clearly that if you look at the unemployment rate, inflation is down, gas is down, the infrastructure bills, uh, the chips uh, act, the veterans and uh, medical prescription. Yeah. Uh, is now down to thirty-five dollars. They just need to get the the tier three drugs down to thirty-five dollars. Right. Then they really would get my yeah. my uh, applause. But the point is that in the two and a half years that the Biden Harris administration have been in, they have done phenomenal stuff. And not not to be partisan here, but the Republicans have just demonstrated they are they are trying to move yeah. to the right, but they have no policies. They have no vision that that they have articulated yeah. other than. Uh, investigations and uh, cheap tactics. Yet that's no way. That's not no way to lead. Yet the polling shows that uh, you know President Biden is uh, as unpopular in many ways, and perhaps more so than former President Trump. Are you are you surprised that uh, there isn't more kind of unanimity around uh, the uh, improvements that have happened? But people, I mean, I think that President Biden used a very good example that uh, Senator Tupperville uh, from Alabama touted how grateful that he was for money coming to a state that was approved by the Biden-Harris administration. And he, in fact, voted against the bill. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's, it's, it's comical in a sense that that divide and the, the poll that you're referencing is that I'm not certain as to why that is. When so much good is being done, but yet the media seems to paint um, Vice President Harris in a little box, and they want to focus in on the age of the president. I think that if the media were to do a more sexier job and focus in, what are the results? Let's measure him on the results, as opposed to these easy little targets. And then the Democrats need to be held accountable that they're a little slow on the switch when it comes to marketing and advertising what they've accomplished. Well, uh, as far as the media, we're trying to do our part uh, as well. Yeah, we are. I, I, well, I hope we're, so. We're speaking truth to power. Yeah, well, I had, uh, again, uh, speaking with Darnell Williams, uh, now the former uh, president CEO and a longtime very powerful advocate for economic justice and racial justice uh, here in Boston, now uh, uh, an official with the MBTA. Uh, Darnell, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We're Joe, thank you for having me, and, I, and good evening to your audience. I hope that we said something that was meaningful to yeah. your listening audience. I hope so. I think people are listening. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time for tonight. You've been watching Talk, yes, to the Neighbor, Talk to the Neighbors here on the Boston Neighbor Network. We're here tonight and uh, every Thursday night at the same time. Uh, until next time, thank you for joining us. Have a pleasant evening. Good night.